Why, hello there. This is Sister Service, and today joining me is Ben Morris. He is a member of the Phoenix Police Department here in Arizona and a hostage negotiator. So, Ben, tell us a little bit about you. All right. Well, thank you, Roseanne, for having me on your podcast. I was actually really excited for this opportunity. It's not something that everyone gets to do every day. So thank you. It's really fun. And I just wanted to say, first of all, that I really respect what you and your your peers in this community do. And I've read through a lot of your stuff and I really admire it. And the, the honesty, the sincerity, the open communication, you guys are doing an awesome work and I really respect it. So thank you. Thanks. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, you forgot to mention as well that I'm your good friend and that I've you, known you forever. You are my good friend, and yes. bless you for being willing to come on our show. Yeah, yeah. But um, just a little about me, uh, not not too, too much to share. I, I'm a Chandler boy, grew up in kind of rural Arizona, mm-hmm. uh, third generation from out here in Queen Creek, my grandparents settled out here in the 50s, and, mm-hmm. and here we are still. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a family out here in, in Queen Creek. I'm married. I have four kids, uh, ranging from second grade up to a freshman in high school, mm-hmm. and uh, we're all hanging out here at the house under quarantine now and in a really historic time and actually really enjoying ourselves. That's awesome. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, uh, served a mission in Barcelona, Spain at the turn of the millennia, 98 to 2000, and uh, went to college, NAU, and I've been a police officer for 17 years oh for the city of Phoenix. It's been that yeah, long. times time has really flown by. Wow. But uh, yeah, like you said, I I, uh, I I work in the negotiations world for Phoenix PD, and been doing that a while, and, and really enjoying it. It's a great and unique opportunity. How did you get to that? point like where you became this person you know like that is interesting yeah you know it it was really a surprise to me as well I I didn't join the police department and think you know you know what I'm gonna be that uh, hostage negotiator guy I'm gonna get a uh, you know a windbreaker jacket and aviators and jump out of the back of a van and you know say take me instead Right. You know, I uh, <laughs> I never envisioned I would be doing something like this. Now, I, I will tell you this: when I when I began as a police officer, I knew that I was not the knuckle dragon street monster type. Right. Um, I mean, I had to play the part of the tough guy many times, and um, I mean, it was real and it was intense, mm-hmm. and it has been a, a wild ride, but. Um, I think I play the role well when I need to, but I could always tell that I wasn't the, uh, the alpha male or kicker that, that you see a lot of personalities in the policing world take on. Um, I, 
I'm actually more, and you can probably attest to this, more of the class clown type. I, <laughs> I'm very social. I like to talk to people. And uh, as I matured as man, as I matured as a police officer, I found a niche in uh, really the area of communication. Mm-hmm. So being able to talk to people. Right. And a lot of times in these intense situations, um, when people are in crisis, I found that um, that I was being used often in that role as a communicator. Mm-hmm. And I started to get opportunities, whether it was because I could speak Spanish or because, you know, my bosses had used me to do these types of things in the past, I was starting to be put in places where I would be the face of the precinct in the community, mm-hmm. giving presentations or, you know, demonstrations, uh, protests, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, just exposed to that side of policing, which... I'm sure you're not surprised to hear that, you know, communication and de-escalation isn't necessarily the most common tool on a police officer's belt. Right, right. Because you're you're Um, meant to just get things taken care of and solve it. And so sometimes that doesn't always mean having a philosophical debate, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I won't take it away. Most officers do a great job with communication absolutely but i mean sometimes the job the job requires a wide wide variety of skill sets and sometimes they're just not strong Mm -hmm. in the area of communication yeah you know but so so in a sense it's easy to stick out if that is a skill set but anyways yeah um, i I mean when you first said that you had got that you were a negotiator i immediately went what a good thing for you of all people to i mean it, it really says a lot about the about the phoenix police officers you know that they would you know look to you because you really already have this skill so well so it was just like wow they really did recognize the talent there. So I, it kind of gave me a little bit of a boost, like, okay, they're, they are paying attention to people who really do stand out. So I think this is really wonderful. to say, honestly, it's (laughs) sometimes I think it's between you and me and the whole world that might hear this. Uh, (laughs) I think it's a job that most of them don't want to do themselves. Well, yeah. So if they can get someone to do it, (laughs) that doesn't mind doing it. And I'll, I'll, I'll get into it in a little bit about why I enjoy it. But, uh, yeah, Mm -hmm. as it, as it progressed through my career, probably about seven years ago, Mm -hmm. um, a couple things happened simultaneously. They recognized the need for special approaches in, um, really dealing with the mentally ill population Mm -hmm. in the city. They were, they were finding these people who were in crisis, they're off their meds, mm. they're unstable, they're volatile, often violent, right. and they were needing to be taken against their will for evaluation. Right. Um, you know, they're a danger themselves or others, right? Yeah. And so according to state law, when someone has to be taken like that, who do you have to call? The police. Right, right. So you're telling me that these people who are paranoid, uh, afraid, aggressive, 
delusional, hallucinating, mm, who have these grand conspiracy theories yeah. that the FBI is watching them, that their phone lines are up. You're telling me that the police are going to show up at their door. Right, and make knock, all, knock, knock. all the fears I'm come from true. The, yeah, I'm from the government, and I'm come to take you away. Right. So yes. it's like the perfect storm. It's, yes. It's... I understand why it's necessary, but it's 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 bad situation for the police and, and the, person. Uh, the mental ill mentally ill population. So they put together a special squad mm-hmm. of officers to be specially trained in de-escalation techniques, recognizing behaviors of um, not not to. Um, not to act as clinicians, not to diagnose right. mental illness, but to recognize behaviors. Mm-hmm. And upon recognizing behaviors, be able to okay. try and effectively deal with those and get them from point A to point B. Right. And Roseanne, it was awesome. It we, sounds we, awesome. <laughs> I, 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 got, I got in on the ground floor. We put together a team, you know, and... For a couple years, I was doing that, and it had amazing results. I felt really good about it. Mm-hmm. Now, in Phoenix, since the dawn of time, the negotiators have been a part of the SWAT team. Okay. And the SWAT team is in charge of, you know, making those negotiations and on these hostage or, or crisis incidents, right? Right. Well... For the first time ever, I was approached by, you know, the SWAT team and asked, hey, what would you think about coming over and being a part of our negotiations team? Oh, that's awesome. And I was like, "Uh, yeah, that's super cool. I want to do it. Yeah. And so about seven years ago, I started doing that, and I was the first um, in Phoenix to – non-SWAT guy to be part of negotiations. You know, fast forward five years later and they created a full-time position Mm -hmm. to be a full-time negotiator on the SWAT team. And they asked me if I wanted it and I I stepped right up. So now for the last two years, uh, I've had one of the only full-time negotiator positions in the country. Oh, wow. You know, most most police departments don't have someone that does that full time. Right. And I was able to put together a team of 10 part-time guys and gals to to be the team. And I, I run the team for, for the Phoenix SWAT team. And it's been awesome. Oh it's been super rewarding to be able to dedicate myself, you know, 100% to that and have no other obligations other than providing the best you know service we can out on these mm-hmm. really big incidents oh, and uh, I think they're really happy with it. I hope they're happy with it I can't but, imagine I mean it just seems so amazing and the work that you do is just so it just it is just inspiring to me I, I think of those populations as always being dragged around and kind of almost like victims of the system and you know what can we do to solve it well we can have people who are trained like you i mean it's just it's amazing and so for me 
as a volunteer for the Uplift Community of Faith, where we're talking all the time about, you know, listening to people. Oh my goodness, you just have that kind of a dream job. But we listen a lot for faith questions and faith doubts. And so I am going to start digging into you on that realm. Have you ever encountered something like that? Where maybe you've had questions or doubts? Yeah, Um, I mean... I definitely have, and you know, it, it is, it's interesting because the biggest struggle I've had, a crisis of faith, as you call it, is related to, to my job, you know, not, not in the traditional way, not in the way of, you know, I've seen too many, you know, graphic traffic accidents and right. I start drinking and, you know, no, not in that way. You know, and I've also, uh, I've never, I've never struggled, and I feel grateful that I haven't, mm-hmm. and knock on wood, but I've never struggled with the doctrines of the church. I've never struggled with church history. And, you know, I, I do try mm-hmm. and be well read on the different issues and stay on top of it. And I'm very happy. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the church's response to a lot of things, and, and I stay supportive. And, my testimonies remained intact, um, mm-hmm. and I know that um, there's a lot of people with a lot of questions, and I actually, that's why I say I, I so respect what you do, because if I learned myself, any one of us, in fact, all of us, I assume, at one point or another, are going to have mm-hmm. struggles, yeah. whether it be of faith or of our own self-worth or, you know, any myriad yes. of things. Yes. But, um... There's really I no did. end to questioning, right? There's questions that are yeah. everywhere, all over the place. And so there's always going to be... If we're growing, then there's always eternally more and more questions until we've learned everything. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, um, my first few years were, you know, in, in rougher rougher parts of the town, we can just say that. Right. Um a lot of violence, a lot of gangs in, in certain parts of Phoenix, especially when when I came on. Um, I was I was present for and, and exposed to a lot of violence, mm-hmm. a lot of evil, a lot of uh, just men, women, hearts failing them. I don't know how else to say it, mm-hmm. but uh, and I'll be honest, it. In, in those early days, it was kind of just surreal to me. You know, right. I, I'd be standing there by a dead body at a shooting scene and, you know, eating my dinner. Right. You know, and talking Mom's... to my wife and, and saying goodnight. And it's just like it's because it's your nine to five, right? Right. It's it's had to grow that kind of a thick skin to it in order to yeah. be able to yeah. survive in that realm. Yeah, I totally understand. Honestly, I never struggled with it. Right. And I, I think that was a blessing. Well, fast forward a few years, and and I start having these babies, right? Right. And the babies are growing up, and I just turned four. <clears throat> excuse me, I just turned forty this year. Every year that I age, I get more and more sensitive, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, more of a crybaby, and things start to affect you more the older your kids get. Yeah, yeah. And Roseanne, the 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 thing that happened to me is 
I started to do some of these negotiations and I started to be the voice that was the last person that some of these people would ever talk to. Right. And I would either be successful or I would. Right. And, you know, a couple of them weighed heavy on my heart. A couple of them I had to work through because it became personal. Mm-hmm. If you respond to a 911 call, you know, and you're just there to clean things up, it doesn't need to get personal. Right. But when right. you're face to face with someone for four hours, working, working, and they're on. promising you that everything's fine, they're promising you that they're not going to do it. Right. And then they ask you, they say, Ben, what do you think? What's your call? And I'm like, yeah, honestly, guys, 50-50. Right. Could well, go either well, ben, way what still. do you want to do? Ugh. Well, you know, I guess we walk. Right. I guess we walk because if we push in and we force him to do something, that's on us. Mm-hmm. But he's saying all the right words, even though I got this twisted knot in my chest. And so we walk. And in this... 45 minutes mm-hmm. later, the family shows up forces the door in and he's hung himself from the stairs mm. you know and I, mm. I you know what I, I should have told you a disclaimer um, I'm not going to get into graphic details with you Roseanne but a couple of the things I'm going to talk about yeah. may be uh, sensitive to those who have either lost loved ones or experienced trauma in their lives Right. Uh, so anyone who's sensitive to that you know decide for yourself because the pain that that i've witnessed and seen others suffer is part of my crisis right so i'm going to share some of that yes i I'm so that's you. just some fair warning real yeah, quick. <laughs> yeah good. Thank um, you. so so what i would do is i go home from something like that and i think i have a healthy coping mechanism yes. i think i have a pretty stable home life uh-huh. but but I would see these people who seem to be without hope. Right. And I would look into their background and I would see that the, it, it, it appeared to me that they were not given any, you know, hand up or any chance, uh, you know, at right. first glance given a chance in life Mm -hmm. and that started I think to kind of weigh on my soul the sadness of those situations right those are the things that eat us away sometimes right yes it didn't really hit me until one night um when I was laying by my daughter Gracie and she's she's eight now she's probably Mm -hmm. six at the time and you know, she's got this beautiful room, pink mm-hmm. and flowers and, you know, daughter mm-hmm. of a heavenly king and just so many beautiful, perfect little things in her room, right? Right. Perfect room, soft bed, you know, warm blanket, snuggled up next to her dad. Her dad is playing with her hair and singing her a song as mm-hmm. she falls asleep. And I see on her face this look of contentment and just 
I can feel in my heart that she's safe. She's home. She's happy. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I couldn't help but think to myself, see, now this is what Heavenly Father wants for his children. Right. This is the life that you're promised if you listen to the still small voice. If you only go in holy places, Mm -hmm. if you keep the commandments, this is the peace and safety and warmth that you're promised when you go to primary, right? right? But I had an experience that night, and I'm not going to call it a vision. It wasn't anything like that, but something nagged me as I saw her there. The image of her was so perfect, it was almost surreal, and, you know, I almost began to be suspicious that I was, like, part of a scene that was hiding some truth, right? Right. And that there's really no such thing as this perfect piece. Mm -hmm. Something inside me was trying to reach through the cracks of this perfection that I was seeing. Right. And, uh... It's as if in that moment, you know, that my my mind's eye, I was taken to another place. You know, the, the same room, but much different furnishings. A mattress on the ground with no sheet. Mm-hmm. Garbage and clothes piled up. Darkness and loud music coming from another place in the house. And, and I could see a girl, but it wasn't my Gracie. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was like every, every child I'd ever seen in on all these calls, alone and awake, hungry, afraid. And in my eye, I could see this girl looking at the door to the room out into the light in the hall and she was so afraid of that door. Mm-hmm. You know, there was there was light coming through it, and she was just focused on that doorway. And I could tell that she was afraid of that shadow that might come through that door. Right. Of the person that should have been caring for her and loving her and telling her she was a daughter of a heavenly king, person that should be singing her to sleep but instead hurts her, screams at her, beats her, tells her she's worthless. And Roseanne, those were the, that was the dark feeling that fell on my heart. And I, it's like in my mind's eye, I could see that scenario repeated thousands of times across the world. Cause I know it's true. Oh yeah. It wasn't that long ago. I went, I happened to be on a car accident. Um, I just was behind a woman, young teen, got in a car accident, and she just fell apart in my arms crying and telling me her parents were going to kill her. And I'm like, you know what? It's an accident. It's not a big deal. Everybody's walked away. You're okay. You had an airbag. Everybody's all right. And when her parents showed up and they just ripped her apart, and it just broke me for a few hours. You know what I mean? Like, there are... There are families like that that are not, you know, 
where they could be. And it is yeah. d- difficult to watch when you see that that does happen all around the world. There are people who don't know how to be the parents that they ought to be. And, you know, I, I don't, I haven't really come to perfectly understand what I felt that night. And maybe one of your listeners could get, could lend me some insight if they've been through something similar. I don't know if it was Heavenly Father who wanted me to see that and feel that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was him allowing Satan to cover me in those dark images and those dark feelings, but it's like this safety net around my heart was pulled away. And for a moment, you know, I was open to and just exposed to all the darkness and the evil Right. of the world and and my feeling was anger mm-hmm. and it wasn't it it wasn't it the men and the women who are you know victimizing others or hurting it, it was it god and i'm being right. very honest now i i, I could understand I, I, in some ways it's is it because you feel like victims almost always grow up to become to make more victims, and so you just see cycles? Is is that why it was turned towards God, I you think? I think that's a big part of it, you know. I, who, who knows what... Yeah, I don't, you I don't necessarily need an excuse no, that's to true. create evil in this world. Right. Um, it can be by your own choice. It can be by the influence. But what I saw there and, and what I felt in my mind right. was this anger at a Heavenly Father who would let so many small ones, the ones we should be sworn to protect, suffer so. And for years, Roseanne, for years, that's the only life they know. And, and why, why do we have a home like, like my gracing? It's not because I'm the parent of the year. I think of myself as normal. I think of myself as a normal human being. Right. And how I care for my children. Right. None of us but, are perfect, but we're normal. Who, like, yeah. Who decides that one child should live in such peace and happiness while another is just tortured by madness? Right. And, and, and I walked away from that with one thought. You know, I had always heard growing up, and I wasn't sure if this was just you know, uh, a common term in the church, but I'm sure you've heard it, that uh, God will never test us or try us above that which we are able to withstand. Oh, man, you're just about to make me cry. (laughs) Every time I hear that, it just hits me in a spot where I know it's absolutely false. It's just absolutely false. But people say it. People say it still. And, and, and you know, I started asking around. I started asking around, and and I said, you know, I asked my dad. And and to most people's credit, they're like, yeah, I mean, yeah, that that sounds familiar. And I'm like, well, can you find it anywhere? Right. Can you find anywhere in the scriptures or where a prophet has said that he won't give you a trial that's beyond your ability to cope because I'm seeing these people, these poor pitiful souls live and die in absolute misery. Right. And, and if 
I'm looking at Corinthians ten thirteen, and and it's saying the only phrase I know, which is God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. Right, tempted. He won't tempt you, but that doesn't mean that you'll be protected. Right. And and I I try I tried to figure out. And it was was finally then that I turned to the scriptures because I'm like, you're lying to me if you're telling me there's a story in the news of uh, of a a girl. Her name was uh, Jeannie, I think. Uh Dad was deranged. Mom was blind, mentally ill herself. Mm. Locked in her bathroom from the time she was a toddler. Right. With a straight jacket on. Oh. Dad would beat her anytime she made a sound. Wow. By the time they found her when she was 13 years old, she couldn't speak. Mm. Now, I have no doubt, Roseanne, the mercy of our Lord and, and, and uh, his ability to make it right. But in the time, what I felt, and this was my crisis of faith, in my time, I felt that as the saints, these stories and these people, we put them away. We dismiss them. We attribute to them some type of sin or misdeed. We see dad put in prison. We stamp our justice on it. Right. And we move on. Yeah. You know, and and honestly, I've kind of felt, and I've been guilty of this, these people in our ward who, they, they just don't fit in. Right. You know, because they didn't have the childhood the rest of us might have. You know, they don't fit, they don't have the right amount of parents. They, they have just these certain issues that kind of make them the undesirables. Right. And and that you kind of, you feel guilty, but you kind of feel better when they move out, mm-hmm. you know? And I've been guilty of that before. Right. Because we don't like to think about the fact that there are some people whose lives have been so messed up that they just don't recover. Right. And I could talk to you a whole nother podcast on the topic of suicide. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of these people who who've lost the fight. But in my deepest, darkest hour of this, I didn't understand. And I couldn't comprehend where was the justice and where was the mercy. Yeah, that... It reminds me of C.S. Lewis when his wife died and he wrote, Meanwhile, where is God? He's slamming the door in my face. And he didn't feel like there was... Like, where is God in the moment that I need him most when his wife died? And later on, he yeah. goes on to discover him. But it's those, that's, that is a moment that many people can connect with right there. So many people yeah. have been in this position. Meanwhile, where is God? If he is so good and loving, why isn't he rescuing, you know? Right. And I know I'm just one voice of many and, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not a psychologist. I'm, I haven't really... I know, I know that this is something that the question of 
if there was a God, then how would he allow so many to suffer? Right. You know, and, and mm, I guess my trial would be along that lines, but I think it was hard to come to the grip, to come to grips with the culture um, in our church that doesn't really want to be too close to that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like it almost becomes taboo. Right. Uh, an undesirable subject, undesirable mm-hmm. outcome, yeah. and hopefully not undesirable people. Right. And uh, we, we have a certain mold that I feel like sometimes guilty, guilty is charged. Right. We, we try and fit. Sometimes we want to wear that hat where like we want to appear that if we are living righteously, that all things in our life are righteous and everything's good and, and we have yeah. no problems. We never question and we're happy, but those yeah. hats are so deceiving. And then more and more people we don't reach because we're not being authentic. Yeah. And so that, that was me, Roseanne, a couple years ago, you know, just, and it, it wasn't really an issue I had with the church, right. but it was, it was something that I stood toe to toe yes. with my heavenly father, gloves on, right? you know, yeah, I want I some do, answers. I, yeah. I do feel this need for justice, right. um, on, on those who commit evil. And right. I feel this need for mercy. Yeah. on those innocent who suffer and I didn't feel like I was observing any of that mm-hmm. in these these times and and when I when I had that perception of just the sheer amount of it going on in the world I was overtaken yeah um, so that is where I stood in my darkest hour uh, dealing with this and all triggered by a, a, a lullaby to my and, daughter. And how long you know? would you say that you stuck through these feelings? Like, was it just that evening or did this go on for a few weeks? Um, how, how long, just because time frame sometimes helps people realize it. Sometimes, yeah. you know, everyone's different on how long they deal with these things. You know, I would say, I'm, I would say a few weeks and I'm not, I don't feel like I'm a hard-hearted person. Right. And I, I think I'm pretty open to truth. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't fight it. Right. But I kind of did demand some perspective. Yeah. And, like, and basically my demand was, if you're going to show me or allow me to perceive this, this much suffering, then I need and I ask and I beg for you to show me an equal measure of hope. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that and that's where I stood and, and I'm like, I'll do my part. Mm-hmm. Whatever but that I is. Right. Which turns out, big surprise, that it ended up requiring that I humble myself a little bit. <laughs> um but yeah, it, it was several weeks of of talking to people I know and trust and searching the scriptures and trying to sort those things out. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to me that you didn't just let it lay there because often we have these choices that come up like that 
And it ends up being where we've got these choices of either becoming more bitter and it embitters us. And then we just go with that. Sometimes we grow and we become better from things like this. And then other times we just get stuck there and put it on a shelf. And let's just not talk about this for forever. And so the people that tend to somehow become better through this are the people who generally take it down and face it and put in that extra work, it seems like. So it's interesting that you're saying that, that it did require some effort on your part, because I think some people think, well, God's, I'm just supposed to stand here and God's supposed to answer me, but it doesn't really work that way. You know, well, what if I just go to the temple and I pray a lot? Well, sometimes that, that can work, but oftentimes it requires you digging into the area that you are concerned about, you know, reading and, and digging in there. Um, And so, so tell me about how that, um, how that went. Okay. So, I mean, I, I, I would say that I have a resolution or at least I have a reality that I'm comfortable with. If, if not, you know, I, I may not have all the answers. Right. In fact, I'm sure I don't. But I think I came to some conclusions that I can be comfortable with. You know, mm-hmm. the first of them was is in my in my reading, and and I would love if you or any of your listeners would be like, actually, Ben, it does say in Joseph Smith, whatever, that we will not be tried more than we can bear. I'd love to see it, but I couldn't find anywhere. Mm-mm. So I said, okay. So it appears to me that God did not make that promise. Right. So he didn't break a promise. Mm-mm. He he said he wouldn't tempt you so far that it's guaranteed you would sin. But he never said you wouldn't get hurt. Right. And apparently he never promised that you wouldn't be eventually hurt beyond your ability to heal. Mm-hmm. As I saw many cases of people whose trauma and trials led to their eventual either complete loss of uh, either their life or their mental health or their behavioral control, right? Right. And and we see these people who are fundamentally broken um, Mm -hmm. and for whom there does not appear to be hope in this life. Right. Okay. So first it was a matter of studying and seeing if <laughs> holding my own trial yes yeah. you know Ooh, I like that religious as this is no I God really and his that. rules oh my goodness you know? I love that holding um, your own trial I always I think of myself as this forever scientist always constantly uh, testing improving theories about the gospel so I love that you're you're holding a trial I, I it's perfect well I'm the cop so I'm looking yeah. for I'm looking it. for probable cause, right? Yes. Oh, I love so, it. <laughs> I love it. So, I, you know, first it was my own, my own research, and then it was my deep, sincere, pleading prayers for perspective. Right. And um, it was not one moment. It was not an eye-opening revelation. But it was a, a, a painting, a portrait that began to be drawn in my mind 
of an eternal perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think an eternal perspective is something that I really haven't tried to embrace in the past. Right. You know, I'm, I'm very much a person who lives in the now. But, uh, you know, one, I guess, metaphor and then um, one experience Mm -hmm. to share. I I was talking to my kids about the concept of eternity. Mm -hmm. And there's this huge cliff where we were camping at, hundreds of feet high, granite. And they said, how long is eternity? And I had heard this before, and I said, well, once a year, a sparrow flies all the way from Florida to this granite cliff and pecks at it one time with its beak and then flies home. He does that one day a year. Eternity is how long it takes for him to peck that mountain down to dust. Oh, awesome. And they're like, whoa. <laughs> and and I thought of eternity in that sense. Mm-hmm. And now, if you, if you believe in an afterlife, if you believe in an enduring peace and happiness after that life, right. having that concept of eternity makes this life suffering a true blink of an eye. Yes. So I started to have that grand perspective, mm-hmm. but still the pain was too intense, right. even if this life is short. So I had to understand human beings and what we're made of mm-hmm. and, and and how this could be at all fair. Right. And, and this is one of those disturbing stories I was going to tell you about. I There was a case of a kid who, you know, mom and dad would go off to work and they'd leave their their newborn under a year old with a nanny, right. a young girl, and she would watch this baby. Well, they started coming home and the baby had these bruises. Right. And, uh, they didn't really suspect the nanny. She was a sweet girl, but uh, they put the nanny cam in a in teddy bear in the room to see if he was banging around in the crib or what. Yeah. Well, come to find out that he would cry and cry because the girl wasn't coming to take care of him. The reason she wasn't coming to take care of him is because her boyfriend was coming over and they'd just be hanging out watching TV all day. Right. And when that baby would cry because he was hungry, needed a diaper changed, that boyfriend would go in the room Mm. and just violently assault this baby, Mm. punching throwing against the back of the crib, slamming down on his back and head Mm. violently. And the baby would cry. The baby would panic and he would do it again. Right. And so after a few times, and this only was captured that final day. Right. (laughs) The last time you see, and I saw the footage, Oh, I'm so sorry. He, he comes in, 
and, and he punches this baby in the chest and he throws this baby down and he walks out of the room and you see this baby look at the door. The baby's shocked and afraid. And then you see the baby grab the bars and stand up and just breathe. Mm-hmm. Hold back those tears because that baby understood and that baby knew tears equal pain quiet equals calm and that baby changed and that baby overcame even at such a small age a violent onslaught because that 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 strength inside him even at such a young age, that instinct, survival instinct, told him what to do. And he zipped his lip, sat down, and started to play with this bear. And my mouth dropped. And I started to get emotional. And I, I, and I, I felt, and I kind of heard in that moment, you know, Ben, he can do this. You can do this. He wanted to come here. He can make it. And the scale will be forever tipped in his favor as far as it needs to go until he finds the mercy that he needs to call this life a success. And he's strong enough. Mm, And whether whether he feels it here, whether he recovers here, whether he becomes a when he fully recovers and has a healthy psyche and healthy emotions, you won't know. But just know that man has strength inside him and that he will be home soon. In the blink of an eye. Before, Before that sparrow has had enough time to chip you know, more than four pieces of dust off that granite wall. He'll be home in the arms of his father. It is so true. And it it was a feeling of hope for me. What it wasn't was a guarantee that all things would be okay. Right, right. And that, and that everyone's situation is somehow justified under a plan. Uh, it wasn't like that, but it was, it was enough hope for me to, to move for it forward, renew my faith and, and consider More. continuing on the path of being his hands in justice and in mercy. You know, um, and, yeah, sorry. And, you, uh, 
you got me yeah. like crying my eyes out over here. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but have you ever noticed this in life that some of the people that are most dear and gentle often have these horrible backgrounds? I mean, I used to think I I used to love um, one of our mutual friends is named Marty Johnson. You know, I yeah. loved oh I love Marty, and then. I always thought, you know, why is he so different than other people? And and then he would he once told us about his mother dying when he was younger. And I just thought to myself, it seems like some of the most amazing people I know have been through some of the hardest things you could dish up to somebody. And somehow there is this chance that it makes a person into something that is just a cut above the rest. So in some ways, there are days where, you know, throughout the times that I was suffering through my uh, medical ordeals that I would be, there are, there were short moments where I, why me? Or why, why is God making, why does God make people suffer? And I struggled with it as well. Um, But then there were moments where it was made so very clear to me that these, these things, there, there can be some amazing good things from it. People always say, Oh, I can't imagine what you've been through. And part of me is like, you know, I'm, grateful I lived through that. And actually, I have a complete another uh, empathy for people in a way that I never could have had in any other way. So for me, that was good. And, And of course, it doesn't always work that way for everyone. But the idea that man is able to take something horrific, just absolutely horrifying, and and make it into something beautiful. It's, it's amazing. And I'll, I'll tell you what, what I teach my negotiators. And, um, it, it's actually a very true principle. And you said the word empathy is one of the steps that a good negotiator will use to change and influence behavior. Right. You know, and, and, uh, when, when it comes to these people who, anyone who's suffered trauma, anyone who's in crisis, you said another word early on, listening. Mm-hmm. You know, the best negotiators are the best listeners. Right. I tell them, I'm like, hey, just shut up and listen for a little bit. Yeah. Just shut up and listen. Let them talk. Let them tell you a couple stories. When they tell you their story, try and put yourself in their shoes you want to know what goes on in roseanne's head you gotta learn what's gone on in her head right right out loud (laughs) literally right you know some crazy stuff and and in a lot of cases in my life i tell these negotiators you're not always going to sympathize there's a lot of people out there i don't feel sorry for the position they've put themselves in. Right. But I can't empathize. Right. I can try and understand what it must like be like to be them. Right. And the judgment, holding off judgment is so important because, you know, like I said, I was given a measure of hope through this experience. Mm-hmm. And that hope makes me feel that some people can be accountable can pull themselves up by their bootstraps and yeah. live that perfect life that we hear about in primary. Right. Great. <laughs> Good for you. Others will not make it. Yep. And it is not my job to 
hold up one and make a promise to all right. when some will never see those opportunities. So what is my job? Mm-hmm. To be that listening ear, to empathize, to love, right. to have that true charity. Because the true love of Christ involves feeling, sensing, and trying to understand pain. Yes, it does. We know that from the book of Moses where we have a God who weeps, you know? Yeah. yeah. We, we, we know it. We believe it. And we have to have what, – what did Francine Benyon once said um, – our theology has to be one that is able to endure the joy of miracles, but also explain the suffering and struggles and lack of miracles. You know, that's the beauty of this gospel. It's not just safety, but it's the ability to navigate is what it is. And so I, I really enjoyed listening to everything you have to say. Is there anything else that you wanted to share with us um, before we part? No, I mean, uh, thanks for letting me blab on. I, I, it was Anytime. good. <laughs> Honestly, I can count on one hand the number of times I've talked about this. So you can send me your therapy bill. I'll, <laughs> I'll gladly pay it. Oh my gosh, I love you so much. But, uh, uh, you know, thank you for creating this platform for for people to to air out their concerns and their their joy and their pain i think it's important that we all know that that each other's human and uh i am grateful for the opportunity well thank you for coming on here and sharing that with me because in in so many ways it is healing to hear that other people have similar thoughts um and struggles to the things that i've faced in my life and you know we exchange sometimes um fear for courage after we hear things like this. We, we're always afraid and we're worried. People get so fearful so easily. And it's nice to remember that courage is also an option and that we're able to buck up and we're able to be the light as much as we possibly can for others and have some hope in Christ that he will end all suffering. I think that was one of the things that really shocked me through some of the most painful moments I've ever been through was the idea that, you know, why does Christ allow this? Why does God allow this? And then, but at the end of it, I look back and I'm like, I'm so grateful that all suffering ends and that there are good days, even for people who, who are suffering and struggling. Um, so you've really brought some hope and I am so grateful you were able to share that with us tonight. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm grateful for the opportunity and you know, and I'm, I'm Roseanne's friend, Ben Morris on Facebook. If there's anyone who ever needs to talk or has gone through something similar and wants to exchange ideas, I'm all open for it. So thank, thank you. Thanks so much, Ben.